Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. The build-ups to these home World Cup qualifiers are strange weeks. I always find nothing much usually happens in them, but you can't help getting a bit more excited the closer it gets to Friday these days. Then it gets to match day. We draw ingloriously, nil all or one all, and we kick ourselves for allowing ourselves to get so excited in the first place. This week, though, at least James McCarthy has moved to Everton to liven things up a little bit there, and now Zlatan has come out with some explosive comments this morning. Oh, you can usually rely on Zlatan to stir things up. Reading this in Emma Malone's piece, I think it'll be a more open game than the one in Stockholm. They came here and closed down the space for us. Playing at home, I think they will attack more, which will leave more space for us. <laughs> word, to the, word to the wise, uh, Zlatan. Not so much explosive, it's just extremely misguided yeah. by Zlatan Ibrahimovic. No, just really showing no understanding of how this group has panned out whatsoever. Well, he's right about one thing. We will give them space. We do give the opponent space, but it's not because we are gone all cavalier trying to please our fans, having our fullbacks pushing up beyond the midfielders and peppering the box. A man who clearly hasn't watched too many of uh, Giovanni Trapattoni's Ireland ma- home matches uh, in terms of video preparation. I wonder though, I know Zatan plays a lot of you know Xbox Live or whether it's the PlayStation version of Same. And do they maybe play as, would he maybe play a few games as Ireland? Just to get a feel for <laughs> what the team was about. Is That's that- the extent of his video analysis that he would do on Ireland. I, I think, in fairness, he would probably do a little bit, tiny bit more than that. Do you think? Well, come on. He'd have to sit through a meeting, surely. Where yeah. at some stage, Sweden are going to talk about Ireland and Zatan would have to be in the room. He'd run out of his yeah, Rolodex of excuses. He's for quite it. a hyperactive type of guy. I mean, you, you see, whenever, whenever things sort of slow down from the match or whatever, or, or training, whenever the guys are standing around, what Zatan does is walks around and kicks people in the head from behind. That's sort of oh a, yes, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of a thing that he does. You know, he because he, he can kick obviously extremely high without any effort. Mm. So he just will, will wander around and flick a boot into somebody's head, and that seems to be the way that he starts to behave once it's um, 
once it's a sort of team I've meeting got, environment. Yeah, I've got this image of, you know, uh, Eric Hansen, that's the Swedish manager, isn't it? He's uh, standing up behind a podium. Hamron, Hamron. Hamron. Uh, he's standing up behind a podium, you know, giving his team a stern lecture for about half an hour. Wearing, a, wearing the, obviously, a three-piece suit with, a you know, yeah. really uh, brown pair of shoes. When from the background... The, the the rest of the squad can see Zlata creeping up very slowly behind him before delivering a well judged boot to the head and of their national team coach. Eric Cameron just turns <laughs> around and uh, oh, you. Uh, eats Zlatan. Oh, can you believe uh, it? That what? was that was great. He, what he, a character. He of course says, "I am Zlatan." Each time he delivers one. Of those yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I am Zlatan. I'm about to boot you in the back of the head. We were talking to US Murph last week about the uh, concussions documentary, the documentary that's being made by Public Service Broadcasting program over in the US about uh, this massive issue that, well, that was affecting the NFL, but the point about it is that about an hour or two after we put the show out, maybe they listened to the show, maybe the NFL realised hang on, this is a serious issue, we better give $765 million to all these families who are claiming that we were covering up all we knew about the dangers of concussions for many years. Well, when second captains at the Irish Times roars the NFL... Has to shell Roger, out. Roger Goodell and these boys. It didn't sound like a lot of money. No, it was Sorry. a very small amount of money compared to what was predicted. It, Bearing in mind it was over 4,000 families. Yeah, and a very small amount of money paid out over 20 years. Uh, so there can't, can't really be any doubt but that the NFL... Yeah, there's a certain amount that goes out, goes out in the first three years, a reasonable percentage of it, and then the rest of it is all staggered over uh, time. So the advantage, this is a little bit old news now, and that a lot of this was last week, but the advantage of this, obviously to the families who need it urgently is that they're going to get some money straight away. So that's good for the, the, the families. But the bad thing is that the NFL should really have probably had to pay more. A lot of people were predicting they would have to pay a lot more money out. But more disturbingly, they don't have to accept any sort of negligence, any anything at all, any sort of blame. They just say, well, no, we just we gave the $765 million because it was the... It was a thing to do, you know, that's done, but we don't have to say any more about what we knew, when we knew it, any of those things. Um, so all in all, kind of disappointing in that sense, because there's a lot more to that story. That documentary still has to come out, by the way, which I'd say will be very good. So I'm still going to watch that. But it seems like the rest of the country, in, the, in America anyway, has forgotten all about that now, because the NFL starts tonight. Yeah. So that's handy enough. And the timing is, you know, I think they wanted to, they wanted to clear yeah. the decks in plenty of time for the start of the NFL season, which, as you say, starts tonight. So I think, you know, in four days' time, after a full program of games, it's like concussion, forget about it. We'll talk know? to US Murph in just uh, a little while. Kieran McGinney has lost his position as Kildare manager. I think these things sometimes pass off reasonably quietly. Manager, especially a manager who's been there for a number of years. Conor Coon is, is a prime example, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, I'm gone, that's it, finished, all very nice, and no problems with the county board. Which is probably fortunate enough in Cork, I guess. It's probably best to be as quiet as possible. Oh, they do their business pretty <laughs> pretty well down there, Owen. But this Kier McGinney story is blown up. Murph, why is it such a big deal? Uh, I think that the players made such a play, and it, the players made such a play beforehand, rather than kind of giving out about it after the, kind of the horse had bolted. The fact that they had come out uh, for the 24 hours beforehand on their Twitter accounts and had a letter written out, or uh, had a letter read out to the club delegates before the vote was taken saying that we absolutely uh, support Kieran McGinney 100%. Um, I think for that reason, and they were so quick then on Twitter as well to just register their disgust at the decision that was made at the county board meeting on Tuesday night. I think that that's really driven this to a huge, huge uh, degree. And then when the county board chairman comes out and says that he wanted McGinney to stay on, but that he couldn't get his executive even to vote in favour of McGinney, you know, and also the fact that the vote uh, came down to it, 
came down to just a one vote split uh that it was 29 votes to 28 or whatever it was um suggests that Kildare yeah, there's a lot of intrigue there it is an interesting story all right I mean, there is also an argument that Kildare never despite getting themselves in position never capitalized over the years on certainly in senior championship on those great qualifier runs and possibly could have achieved more I know the people back in McGinney say that, that that's fair enough point but that from where he took them just to be competing at that level yeah. was an achievement in itself and I think, I think that's that's the point that uh, that has been made I suppose over the last 48 hours that they really were in a very bad position when McGinney took over but you know eating bread soon forgotten you know the all you're all you're thinking about is you know what's Kieran McGinney done for me lately alright Murph what have you done for me lately in terms of All-Ireland final build up watching well you know I, this is an area of no little expertise for me, Owen, because uh, you may recall that uh, I was sent uh, a picture of a sheep wearing a Donegal jersey. The sheep had extremely large testicles. Uh, I retweeted this photograph, and it you know, it stormed the nation last year in the run-up to the All-Ireland Finals. So I was expecting to be, as I was last year, the nation's one-stop shop for all of your ridiculous pre-All-Ireland Final livestock-related banter, uh, as the old saying goes. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I've just been a little disappointed, you know. Uh, all I've seen really so far is uh, one photograph of a very small horse being painted red and white, which was tweeted by Davy Russell, mm. uh, jump jockey par excellence. Mm-hmm. And then there was a lovely photograph of a calf wearing a clear jersey, which is very nice, and it looked very cute. You know, little calves, they can be very cute on. And a uh, little banner jersey on them. But other than that, I haven't really, I haven't really seen Anthony, and I've, I've just, I've been a little upset by it. You know, I'm a little disquieted by it because, you know, you can't, you can't take this away from me. You know, this is a key thing for me. This, these are, this is one of my banner weeks. This is like the build up to Christmas, you know, and it's like Christmas without the, without the carols. Well, what's you know? the biodiversity like in Clare? I mean, they've got that, that big karst landscape there. Does much live live on that? No, there wouldn't be any livestock. They got well, that it, vicious it, dolphin. Vicious, isn't there a dolphin there? That's that's a man eater, or yeah, not necessarily a man eater. No, I don't know about a man eater, man botherer. I th- I think so. How many so. men have been eaten by the dolphin? You know, mm. I think I've seen that that very dolphin. Have you? Yeah, man botherer. And you managed to survive unscathed. Well, I was in a boat, you know. Still though, I was, and then I, the dolphin. He's getting came pretty. And, he's getting pretty bulgy. Oh, I hear. Amazing. Have you ever have you ever actually seen one kind of close up in, a in the wild? Well, just off the. Uh, Galapagos Islands, Ken, but I don't oh, really yeah. want to talk about it. Well, I was impressed. I, I was getting the boat out to the Iron Islands, and uh, and I saw this thing, and oh, oh, so I stood up. We're going to need a bigger in, boat. In the little boat, and they started screaming at me to sit down because I was going to fall in, and then who knows, be torn to pieces by <laughs> by the uh, cute <laughs> looking to dolphin. Death by the dolphin, dolphin's little uh, little. What would you call it? Not a you know the dolphin's or... smile. Yeah, is one of the great lies. You know the way that they're, they're yeah. mates. Shape now. I, this isn't my line. It's actually from the guy who trained Flipper, yeah. who, who was in fact seven different female dolphins. Um, fli- I mean, the sexism of the time meant that Flipper was referred to as a male, but it was seven female dolphins who played him. And uh, that guy has since become a, a, don- a dolphin conservationist because he realized keeping them in captivity is, was so bad for them. Yeah, they, they get really depressed. But it looks all the time like they're smiling just because of the way that their mouth curves. But in fact, a lot of the time, they're experiencing a full range of emotions, and they're they're always as happy to see you 
as they appear. So watch out. Not sure if I even managed to mention Niall Carew in amongst all that Kildare chat. <laughs> We're going to be talking to him. He was a selector of Kieran McGinney for and Flipper five coming years. up coming up next. Uh, no more Dolphin talk at this point. I don't think we are going to look ahead to the All Ireland hurling final now. We'll have Chrissy O'Connor, author and journalist, on a little bit later on. Nicky English is ready to go, and Derek Ling has just stepped into the studio. Winner of six All Irelands. Almost all of these players, Derek, have zero experience of this day. Uh, can you go back to your first All Ireland? Was it a surreal thing to just even to be playing, to be heading into the stadium? Yeah, I think. Um Looking back on it, actually, the first time around is probably the most enjoyable. Now, that, it's easy to say that now because we won and everything went well. But I do remember um, the first time around, you don't know what to expect. I think uh, further on down the line, when you come into the big games like that again, you're trying to compare it to the last time, particularly if it went well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want everything, you, you want the routine to go exactly to plan. And uh, I don't know, for someone, I was always very tense, I suppose, uh, going into games like that. I probably wasn't the best company to be around with family in that in the run of the few days to the big games. But um, it's kind of, I think coming into your first All-Ireland, it's all kind of new, uh, the build-up. Um, and I think you have to embrace it. And um, thankfully, I did. I enjoyed uh, the build-up too with the, you know, even the supporter days that we had, you know, um, the crowds around training and everything else because it was all new to me. Did you enjoy that? I did actually, yeah. Really, yeah. I did. And um, I, I think, you know, once the whistle blew, I, you know, we were I kind of, I just remember being focused enough to kind of, you know, remember that it was all about the game and uh, whatever happened before that um, was irrelevant really and I suppose that's the thing about some of the younger players coming into it um, that it's really, it's half three is what, is what matters and not, you know, to kind of, I suppose to enjoy the build up if they can, you know, not to get too hung up about um, the little things that can kind of um, great. Yeah, I think when you're when you're in that, I suppose um, in that moment in the run up to games, you can kind of. Um, do you think? It, yeah. Do you think it was different for you though, coming into a team that already won all Ireland's? That you know, you you had a, you were surrounded basically by guys who had won all Ireland medals. So that if you were feeling nervous, you didn't have to think, God, we're all feeling nervous here. Maybe this is just me. And as a result, you can look at the the older guys in the dressing room and think, Oh well, these guys have it all together. You know, the, these guys are, are are feeling good. So I don't have to worry quite so much about my own situation. That's true, and there was a lot of experienced players on the team at that stage. Um, that year in particular, 2002, was a kind of, um, a couple of us had kind of got on the team that year and we were kind of hurling with confidence. The year had gone well. And that kind of, when, when, the, when you're winning games like that, it does bring its own confidence and, and you're kind of looking forward to it more than anything. And I suppose the sense of responsibility is not necessarily on you then, it's more on the experienced player. So you can just go and kind of concentrate on your own job. Whereas I think down the road, you do realise, um, particularly when you're a senior player, what's expected of you more, and um, and I think, like I said, you probably you're probably comparing every year, and uh, particularly a game that you've you've done well in, um, you want the build up to go exactly, exactly yeah, to plan. You know, that's, yeah, it's yeah. got yeah. So um, you know, I think looking at that, you you know, um, Owen mentioned the clear experience, um, Cork experience. A lot of those players would have played in All Ireland's underage, particularly Clare. And they've got a great record at underage level, um, be it in Munster, minor and under 21. So I think, I think both teams are coming into really full of confidence. And, um, I, I can't wait to see how both teams actually react on the day. And I hope. You know, I hope from a neutral point of view that they, they bring what they've shown in the last couple of games in particular. Nicky Derrick's first All-Ireland sounded like a nice handy puck around in the <laughs> local field. How, how were you nerves-wise the first time? Yeah, well, I, I, I think, you see, 
it's important to have players that have played in All Ireland and the first All Ireland that we around you I think and the first All Ireland that we played in was in eighty eight and Tip hadn't played since seventy one in the All Ireland Finals. So it was a huge build up and uh I would definitely think that the the uh, the build up got to I was, personally I'd say I was I never played I, I think it passed me by and I never played as well as I as I as I wanted to play anyway, definitely and uh you know, we lost, and uh, certainly wasn't as good as ex- good an experience as Derek described for his first one in two thousand and two. I can tell you that. Do you know that's happening, Nicky? Do you? Well, I guess it's the first time you're in it, so maybe you you, you don't realise it. But it, were you getting the sense as it was happening? I'm not grabbing a hold of this game like I should be. Well, you do, yeah. You know fairly well after 15, you know. I mean, the thing is going against you, and you know, it's like it was a very very tough, tight game that, and we got chances to win it right up until the end against Galway in '88. But they had. They had lost the previous two All Irelands in '86 and '87, and they just had they had more experience than we had. And I often heard uh, Donny Nealon actually, you know, was a selector with Tip in those times, saying afterwards, and that was always important to have, you know, an All Ireland winner on the team, you know, that you that you know, and and that's been like Tip haven't hardly won in only once every ten years in the interim, and they've they've just been lucky, you know, that they had someone because it, and it actually helps to steady everybody down and maybe somebody that who has made mistakes going into an All-Ireland in their youth or in, in their time and uh, can, can actually you know calm other people down and, and but it's, I, think it's, I think it's important to have a winner or, or experience around the place and I think in that regard I think Davy Fitz's experience in Watford in 2000 and I forget what, what year it was 2007 or 2008 will be uh, Will be very important because I remember looking at a picture of John Milan in a sea of people in the Dungarvan pitch on one of a couple of uh, of uh, fan nights that I had, that they had, and was thinking that this is not good because based on my previous experience, and and I was very conscious of that when whenever Tiberi got to the All Ireland in two thousand and one, that you know that it's all about the game in at three thirty, and you know so that's the focus, and and you know I, I think. There's enough of people around the Clare and Cork. I mean, Cork have so many All Irelands on the sideline. You know, there's 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 plenty of experience, and uh, I'd be surprised if neither if it, uh, like as Derek said, I'd be very surprised if either of these teams don't bring their uh, don't bring their best because you know it's uh, they are experienced in in lots of different ways. Yeah, no, it's a good point, and I think we want both teams to bring their best. We, we had an, uh, we've had so many great games this season where that has happened. Yeah, but the game against you've also, you've also had one where I mean you couldn't you couldn't but argue that Limerick didn't yeah, bring anywhere yeah, near yeah. their best. Do you know what I mean? So you know it can happen, and 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 you know there was a huge build up in Limerick, and uh, you know certainly they they did for for whatever reason Limerick didn't actually play their their best on on the day. Maybe it was that's more that's more because Clare didn't allow them to play it. But you know it'd be hard to be hard to, for anyone in Limerick to say that they did play their best on the day, you know. Derek, we had a funny situation last Sunday where we got this incredible All-Ireland football semi-final largely because two teams both felt their best chance of winning was to play in a certain way, which was yeah. to go all-out attack. Yeah. Any chances is going to happen this time? Both teams might feel and Kilkenny have done this, not every time they play in All-Ireland, but they have done it sometimes where really early on they've thought, we're going in hard, we're going in, we're going to get, we're going to get scores, we're going to get goals and we're going to kill this early if possible. Is there a chance that that would be a wise course of action for either of these teams? Well, I think uh, both Cork and Clare, if anything, as the year has gone on, they've improved uh, immeasurably, particularly Clare. Um, if you look at the start of the year, particularly their wide, wide count and even their their tactics, if you like, bringing the extra man back to play in the seven in defence was, you know, some people were critical of it. 
but they've stuck with it and if anything they've refined it and players you can see the confidence that they have now particularly against Limerick um, so I think Clare being the way they're going I don't think they're going to change any aspect of their style of play or anything like that I think they're going to keep they're not it. going to certainly change that no system. definitely not and why would you no, not at all not at this stage and Cork being Cork they've, they've the confidence in themselves as well to um, I think to go out as they've as they've played with 15 kind of generally they do drop sometimes someone back but they might drop someone back this time maybe around the middle of the field I think because that's if you look at Clare the last couple of games the majority of their scores are coming from around half hour line midfield area there's always a man on the shoulder to take the ball off and it's the ball off the other person when they come into a tackle and um, like both teams you could say are not scoring goals so I think that's going to be key is the battle around that area and who is um, who is the most accuracy really on the day The lack of goals is funny so far Nicky, is there any reason to think that's going to change this weekend? No, I wouldn't think so No, I'd agree with Derek I don't, I don't think so I think I think Clare will set up more or less the way they do and you know, Cork will let them at it, really. Your man Conor O'Sullivan will probably be an extra defender for for Cork. So in both both sides of the pitch are going to have an extra defender. And, you know, the hurling is, is being played, uh, a lot of the hurling is being played outside the corner forwards. You know, everyone is coming on, to, wants the ball in front of them. And with the result, when they get it, you know, they have a lot to do to take on their man and the possible extra man that's around the place to actually go and get a goal. So... You know their best is is to get a point or a point from back outside. You know, and that's what's happening in all the matches. I mean, I think there was only I was trying to work it out. I think there was only two two goals in the Munster Championship, and one was by Waterford, and one was by Tipperary. None of the teams that have actually have have got to where they are. It's, yeah, it seems funny because it's been such an amazing championship, largely because of incredible results. But usually, we think you need a lot of goal fests for for matches to be considered classics. Sure, but if, if you're not getting goals, you're getting very close games. Do you know what I mean? And that's really what's what's been happening. And uh, you know, even in the Iron semi-finals, the goals weren't, you know, they weren't real stage, mo- you know, they weren't set up moves, they were mistakes, and, uh, you know, I just, it, it'll be, it, it'll, but it's fascinating to see how it'll work, but, um, you know, there's some, I, I, I just have a feeling that Cork are, just, I, I think that they have, they, they, they could even improve, I, I think, exactly as Derek said, they're both of them are improving, and Claire improved an awful lot. I'm inclined to think that Cork could improve even they can both can improve again and, and there won't be much between uh, between them at all I'd say but I just have a feeling that Cork can improve another bit as well and you know they absolutely love getting into an all Ireland final and, and uh, you know that, that that they can flourish in that environment and, and that players that you know who haven't shown a lot maybe could, could do that for them um, so it's, I'm looking forward to it now. I think it'll be good because both both teams really are really good hurling teams. You know, there's great players on both sides, and uh, you know you have brilliant hurlers on on you know the Clare team. You know, Pat O'Connor is I think a fantastic wing back. You know, Tony Kelly and Galvin are fantastic in the middle of the field. Like, what do Cork do with Brian Murphy? Do they get him to follow uh, Tony Kelly? I'd be surprised if they, you know I'd be surprised if he goes anywhere near midfield. I expect Brian Murphy probably play, but he'd play in defence. Um, who picks up uh, Podge Collins and then up at the other side what, what would you what do you do if, if you're Patrick Horgan and Pat Donnell is going to sit in front of you you know so there's a whole lot of uh, ifs and buts really it's just, you know it's fascinating and, and I don't expect them I don't expect Claire like Derek I don't expect them to set up any differently I, I think that's the way they'll go they, ideally they'd love to get five on five 
in front of the Cork goals, but I'd say Cork are not going to allow that either, you know. From a managerial perspective, Nicky, is this about as uh, interesting a matchup as we've ever had in an All Ireland final? From the from the point of view of all those questions that you've just asked, uh, I, I can't remember a build-up where it's been so much about the managers and they've had so many questions and so many uh, things to try and weigh up in the build-up to an All-Ireland final. Yeah, well, I suppose like if you're Cork, you just have to weigh up. Pat Donnan has been sitting back. What do you do there? But like, Sir Cork have really been, you know, they've had an extra man in a couple of the, you know in a couple of the games. Conor Sullivan has been playing that role particularly well, and Cork are a team that don't give away the ball. Whereas Limerick didn't use the ball very well the last time. You know, if you're a player, you'd say, well, maybe if you're David, you just, you know, just turn the thing on its head and just go back 15 aside. I'd be surprised if he do that because what he's, you know, the, the game he's playing, they like it. They're, as Derek says, they, they're using the ball short enough, even though they have, you know, they have refined that and they're not just as enslaved to that as they were earlier on in the year. But you see, ultimately, like, Hurland doesn't really come down. Um, like, okay, you can have a tactical setup, but ultimately... The, the people that will go to the ball the hardest, the people that will win the tackles the hardest, uh, the people, you know, the players that will actually, you know, get a good touch then and then use the ball well, and and you know, they're, they're that's the team that will win it, and and you know that's that that just that contest will will, will unfold and we get tactics will unlikely to win, it's unlikely to be won on tactics. I'd say, you know what I mean? You people say afterwards that the manager did this, did that, but uh, typically it's the Every everything the winning manager does is right, and every everything the other the up the, the losing manager does is wrong, and, and that's not it's it's not that um, the, the manager's role is just not that uh, uh, all imp- all important really. Between you know when when the players take the line, they they have, a lot of them are going to have to find it themselves, win themselves, and take responsibility, and that's ultimately you know where where it's going to be won at the end. Even though a lot of the discussion in the run up to it is is about the tactical uh, how you how people will, will, will cope tactically with the, with the opposition, you know. Nicky, I know you have to be on your way there, so just very briefly, who do you think will cope the best? Who's going to win on Sunday? I, I think it'll be very close. I mean, it, like every year, every game this year, you can say, oh, gee, I don't know, it's, it's going to be hard to call, but that's that's been the nature of Hurling this year. The underdogs have been winning all the matches. Um, I, I think it'll be very close because I don't think there'll be, I don't think it'll be a whole heap of goals. I don't think there'll be goals, a lot of goals in it. I think it'll be, it'll be, I think it'll be a good game. I just, just slightly fancy Cork. Really, I just thought that after they, after they beat Kilkenny, that they they might find a little bit more along, which they did against Dublin. Maybe luckily so in some ways, but I think they could find another little bit now once they've got to the final. So I think they'll be very hard to beat. All right, Nicky, enjoy the game. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, guys. The point that Nicky raises there, just about the importance of management, or maybe the overstated importance of them at this stage. They do have to devise the plan you're not going to get to an All-Ireland final with a poor manager quite clearly and you probably need a very good one to get there but once it gets to that stage is it actually does, does it in some ways do tactics will everybody know what the tactics are going to be and it is, is it just down to some of the more fundamental things that Nicky talks about? I think so. Um, it's a good point because you can have all the tactics in the world um, but if a player goes out and walks over the first ball and slips you know these things um, players make mistakes and I think yeah. I actually think when it comes to big days like this it's the players that are not afraid of making mistakes that's the team that you're going to be worried about because if if you go out in your tents and you're afraid of even going to the ball the first touch is always key you know as, as it, sometimes it might take 5-10 minutes I mean situations midfield you're running back and forth you haven't touched the ball it's 10 minutes gone and you, you do start to tense up you know it's just 
it's such a big stage and you want to do well and the pressure is on. So I think if, as I was saying, it was easier for me as my first to learn because you've experienced players to take the heat off you that way. Whereas both teams that are coming in now really don't have, clear don't have any, I don't think, senior players that have won on, our, on, our, on Ireland. Uh, Cork, I think, have won. That's Tom Kenny, Brian Murphy. So both teams, you could say, are coming in at the same level. So it's really how, if they go out and kind of just give it give it everything they have, not to worry too much, let the game kind of, because um, situations like that do happen where you don't get a touch of the ball for a few minutes and it's the guys who can kind of keep their composure, keep going, play their normal game. Um, soon enough, they'll get into the game. And it's really, you know, when you look at both teams, then it's down to kind of the tactics do come into it, but it's who takes their chances on the day. It's a cliche, but that's... Yeah, I, I think the, the thing about tactics um, and making sure that you have your own tactical plan that... The team that aren't surprised by anything, that's a big thing. I think that if you've planned for three weeks for an All-Ireland final and if Cork come up with something or Clare come up with something that you didn't expect, that's when you need to really be, your reactions need to be spot on and your head needs to be right. I think I don't think either team is going to be particularly surprised by what the other does. Yeah. So in that respect, I think that they probably will be able to go out and if it's a tactical battle, it'll be within parameters that they actually already understand and as a result, the players will be able to deal with that. But it's not—it's not going to be something that will win or lose the game. I think that you know, it, I think that the, your, the reaction to a, a totally different tactical plan by one team or the other—that could win it. But I think we all know how it's going to pan out, and I think the, it's up to the players then in that sort of a situation to just to just stick to their own plan. Well, David Fitzgerald will certainly feel the manager can have an influence during the game. Yeah, he generally <laughs> does. Anyway, somebody maybe it. needs to say to him, "Look, it's, it, 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 you've done your work, Davy." It's all on what the players actually produce at this stage. In, some inter- in terms of some of those tactical, uh, the, the tactics that are there, what Nicky talks about and wh- how, uh, particularly how maybe Cork need to think about what Claire are doing here. Mm. They know what it's going to be. How do you counteract it? Well, Cork, <clears throat> Cork have impressed me in the regard, like against Kilkenny, for example, they went, uh, Kilkenny went down to 14 men. Cork never deviated from their game plan. Um, they didn't kind of go goal hungry. They didn't kind of go to kill the match and like some teams do and they kind of get caught up in that and sometimes it can kind of catch them out. They, some teams change their game plan totally when they're playing against 14 men but they kind of kept it simple. Keno Sullivan is, is a very good man to kind of pick up uh, this kind of the space um, that they've had like Kilkenny, against Kilkenny and against Dublin. So they've had two big games where they've been playing against 14 men they've never deviated from that they kind of play they're very good at stick passes around the middle of the field um, play down the wings an awful lot Patrick Cronin is an obvious target for for Anthony Nash who is you know proven to be an outstanding keeper this year in particular he's when you have somebody that's able to come out the field 30-40 yards and pop three points over the bar that's a huge boost to any team so I think you know, even against I found even against Kilkenny and against Dublin, even their inside line, they don't kind of take on the man one on one. They always seem to kind of bring the play back out, point over their shoulder, which they're outstanding at. Patrick Horgan is, you know, what he can do. I'd say there's young lads all over the country trying to throw the ball over the shoulder. Now that's, you know, it's a great skill, but very rarely have you seen them actually take on, um, take on their own man in one to one. And I do think they have pace and sight to actually trouble a full back line. So, from that regard, I. I wouldn't be surprised to see Carp a little bit more direct in the inside line this time, even though Patrick Donnell is there, but 
I could see and sometimes when a guy is dropping back you have a full forward that's coming out on top of him breaking the ball it can open things up as well So We are joined by Christy O'Connor now to talk a little bit more about this Christy and the point has been made already that I think we're all expecting Cork to turn up and play being Cork there's just always that expectation that it's going to happen in an All-Ireland final but it seems that people are reasonably confident the amount that you've seen of these younger players particularly for Clare that the, re- the rest of us mightn't have seen anywhere near as much of do you think that they're made of the right stuff that they will turn up they will put in a good account of themselves uh, and at that point it's probably let the best team win Yeah absolutely Owen. and I think, you know, I think there's a real sense of confidence in Clare that you know, whatever about anything else I think that people feel that these boys are definitely going to perform because that's been their track record and that's been their history. I suppose, you know, people, everyone goes on about tradition and especially when you when you play Cork and not Ireland final. But, you know, the way we look at it, Owen, is that they really have most of the tradition going into this final because they're the guys that have played not Ireland minor finals, have played not Ireland 21 finals, have won, you know, big matches on big days. And, like, you know, as Derek mentioned there, Brian Murphy and Tom Kenny are the only two guys that have real big game experience from you know, from Cork's perspective. And, like, a lot of these clear boys have never lost underage to Cork. Like, you know, there's a few of them, like Sir Colin Galvin, has never actually lost an, a Munster, an underage game in Munster at minor or in 21. So these guys don't really know anything else but winning. You know, there's a real sense of confidence within the camp. Um, and, you know, they feel like, they, you know, the, the, way they, the way they play, the way their system is set up, you know, they're very, very comfortable with it on. They're very, very happy with how they have kind of perfected it. They, um, I suppose they have evolved as a team as the summer has gone on. Um, they're playing a bit more direct. Their sweeper system is working very well. Um, you know, their their accuracy has improved big time. So, you know, look, I think that the Clare boys, this is the way they look at it. I think this is their stage. That's the way they see it. They always felt, you know, they were going to be in All-Ireland Finals and they were going to be, you know, playing on big days. And maybe it's happened sooner than expected. But to go back to your initial question on, I don't think there's any fear. Obviously, there, there always is a concern, you know, an All-Ireland final is a massive day, it's a massive game, but these boys are something different. You even talk to any of the senior players within the squad, you know, um, they just kind of, I suppose, the, 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 you know, even when Tony Kelly came in last year, for example, you know, he was only after doing his leave and came in, nine, not even 19, like, like or sorry, like Tony Kelly was only a week overage for minor last year, and he came in and started bossing the play, started taking frees, you know, telling guys where to go, like Paj Collins, literally is the spiritual leader of the 21 team, goes in and starts literally, you know, he's only five foot wide and starts literally trying to take on guys, you know, foot taller than him and just have that, I won't say arrogance, just have that confidence and that belief about them and, you know, I think that's massively important for a county like Clare that are going in to an All-Ireland final against a county like Cork that these guys feel that, look at, these guys feel they have as much tradition and have as much right to, to beat any of the big counties as, um, as Cork or Kilkenny have. Uh, Tony Kelly, you just mentioned there, uh, has been you know one of the hurlers of the summer without any shadow of a doubt. Uh, the only bad game that he had, and the only bad game that Clare have had really all year, is obviously that game against Cork that they lost in the Munster semi-final. Uh, Brian Murphy did a very good job on Tony Kelly that day. Uh, Murphy comes back from injury and will probably be in the Cork team somewhere. Uh, do you see Brian Murphy just back from, fresh back from injury taking up Tony Kelly, probably the form hurler in the country at the moment? Is that too yeah. big a risk for Cork? Well, no, look, I suppose to go back to your, your point, Morph, about, um, you know, that, that game, like, so look at, like, Brian Murphy was effectively playing, well, he was named centre-back that day, right? Um, but, you know, I was just basically there in a man-marking role, um, you know, made one play, never struck the ball once, um, you know, and you, you kind of say it yourself, like, you know, a centre-back, 
never striking the ball once. You're kind of saying, what kind of, um, you know, that's horrendous stuff. Like, but yeah. like Tony Kelly only made seven plays. Murph, you know, like he tracked him all over the pitch. He only had one shot at the target. He engineered one point for Podge Collins. But um, you know, look at. I just feel that that day, Clare were flat, you know, um, and Clare were turned over a lot in their defence that day, especially later on. And I think it was more to do with mental fatigue and mental tiredness. And I thought Clare were tired going into that game. They didn't perform. I'm not, I'm not taking away from Cork's performance that day. But, um, you know, I think the ground has changed in the meantime, Kieran, because, you know, like, how fit is Brian Murphy after two months out? Um, I think Kelly will play a deeper role now. Um, Podge Collins will play a deeper role. And I would feel if, if you're going to mark, man-mark anyone... In particular, on the middle third, I would be man marking Podge Collins as opposed to Tony Kelly because Kelly will go that that much more deeper. Um, like Collins is definitely their best player in terms of you know their for- best forager. He, he wins the most turnovers. He wins the most breaks. You know, like the, 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 the great thing about Podge Collins is you know he's a scorer, but he, he's he's probably his his background is more as a playmaker. So he's really married those two elements very well. And I suppose you know he would have started out you know the last day. Um, Against Cork and Munster, you know, he was Clare's best player. 15 plays, 5 points from play. You know, was involved in another couple of scoring chances. Um, so, like, I would say that it would be more... I would feel the Cork's priority now, if they're going to really man-mark a player around that middle third, would be Podge Collins as opposed to Tony Kelly. Because Tony Kelly is going to create. He's going to score. There's no question about that. He didn't score. He only scored one point the last day. But um, it's kind of... If you look at a Clare's play more... A lot of the good stuff is actually coming from Collins' work with and from the, the work that he's doing in that middle third. So I would say, like, by Murphy, I would, I would definitely feel they would start him. Now, you could say Jimmy Barry is very loyal. He might decide to start somebody else and maybe bring him on. But, like, you know, like he hasn't played, in, you know, at this level in over two months. And, you know, you're talking about Mark and likes of Tony Kelly, who's strong, apart from his skill, his biggest asset is his pace. Like, and, you know, I think it's a, a different ball game trying to track Tony Kelly around Crow Park as opposed to trying to track Tony Kelly in the Gaelic grounds on a day which was really, really windy, which definitely affected Clare's game because Clare's game is based around a lot of shooting from distance. And in the second half that day, the wind was a factor. Derek, just want to ask you, we have to wrap, wrap things up pretty soon, but does the season need just an unbelievable, classic, epic, totemic All-Ireland final to cap everything off, to secure its place in history? Or has it has already got that and anything that we are blessed with on Sunday will be a bonus? Yeah, I think so. Look, everybody's looking forward to it. I, I, I really hope it lives up to the year that we've had and we get a really good entertaining game. I think we will. I think we have two young, confident teams going into it. I think they're going to go at it gung-ho. I think both teams are comfortable in the, in the systems that they play. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think regardless of what happens, I think it's been a great year of hurling. Um, but I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think we're going to get a good game. Christy? We've got Nicky going for Cork, didn't he, earlier on? Yeah, went for Cork. And every Anthony Daly was unbelievably bullish on the Sunday game. I get the impression that people in Clare are feeling very, very confident about this. I don't know, will Christie Prediction, Christy? Agree with that? Well, I'll tell you now, I'd say a week ago I was absolutely convinced Clare were going to win. <laughs> the, the more I think about it and the more you analyse it, I suppose, look at, you know, um, I think the first quarter is going to be very, very important. And I suppose the way Clare play, you know, they look to get ahead early, you know, given how they're set up. Um, you know, given their fitness levels, which they feel is superior to anybody else, you know, that that's massive. And if Clare get ahead and you're chasing Clare, it is, they are a very hard team to break down. But look at if Cork get ahead, then it is a different ball game. But look at, and it's not just because I'm from Clare, but I still think Clare do it, lads. You know. All right, Derek, you've got the final vote here. Yeah, well, it's it's always hard to back against Cork in a learning final. Um, you have to be kind of a brave man, but um, 
you know, it, it, if you look at the the previous games, they've had that little bit of luck, which would suggest that it's Cork's year. But I, I'm going to go actually with Clare. Really? I think, yeah, I, I think Clare might just get over the line. Clare have it, Derek. Well yeah. done, I'm sure. Christy, be happy. Christy, thanks very much for chatting to us. Enjoy Sunday, and Derek, thank you very much for being Enjoy. with us. Well, that's the question that's going to be asked. Answer tonight, tonight. So now. Come here tonight, tonight, into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight, their team is better set up tonight, tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. Second Captains Football, available on irishtimes.com, Second Captains, and iTunes from 6pm tonight. Tonight, 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 tonight. Murphy, I don't know what you think about that, the idea that the All-Ireland Hurling Final needs to... Does it need to be a classic for the season to be remembered as the greatest ever? Yeah, well, I think when you... I was thinking about this, actually. Say World Cup, World Cups every four years, and you kind of watch the group stages, and you kind of go through a similar range of emotions. Like, the, the group stages, there's so many games, you're like, God, there's been quite a few good games. This has been a really good World Cup. And then you kind of... Oh, the second round, well, there weren't that many good games, but our hopes remain high. And then it keeps going, keeps going, and then the final is a disappointment. You're like... God, that if if it was a good final, it could have saved, could have papered over a lot of cracks. You know, I don't actually think we need a great All Ireland final. To be honest, I think the summer has given us enough already. But I do think that it would be great if Clare won this. I'm sorry, Cork listeners, but I I think it would be great if Clare were to win this because it would put the the seal on Limerick winning the uh, Munster title for the first time in whatever it was, 17 years. Dublin winning the Leinster title for the first time in a lifetime. And then for maybe maybe for Cork to win it then would be kind of a sort of normal service resumed end to the end to the season. I think if Clare were to go out, go on and win an All Ireland title, it really would seal this as a you know a seismic year in the whole you know a, a seismic shift in the balance of power in hurling. So I think it would be great if Clare were to win it. I mean. Cork have come from nowhere this year, so I still think it would be it right. would be amazing. Will as well. any of our Cork or Clare listeners enjoy it if you're heading up, especially, or even if you're not, or if you're listening from anywhere around the world and you're going to be watching it on Sunday? Should be a big occasion. It's time now for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behaviour. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Derek Addy's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Get it! Oh, touchdown! Touchdown, Gordy! Oh, 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 Oh man, you can! It's like um, you know, every year you wonder: Does the is the football's uh, rain atop the uh, the heap ever going to fade? But no, here we go again, man. Like I said, and I've told you this before: you know, when your baseball team's out of it, you get that much more into football. So um, with the San Francisco Giants fading heavily, and especially because our rival L.A. Dodgers are the uh, the team of the of the year, I'm definitely looking forward to football especially Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers, but I'm sure we'll talk about that several times this fall, guys. Yeah, it starts tonight, Baltimore Ravens at the Denver Broncos. Has everybody already forgotten about the concussion settlement, Brian, that occurred not long after we chatted last week? And have, Has everyone just moved on to how their fantasy teams will do in week one now? 
Isn't that incredible? I think that's what NFL, the NFL and Roger Goodell, the commissioner and the powers that be, are banking on, that you, that you do just have this selective amnesia. And there's a 24-hour news cycle, and there is, like, you know, settlement of a lawsuit, like you said last week, and I'm sure most of your listeners know by now that, it, you know, they're going to spend uh, close to $800 million to compensate these uh, over 4,000 people who sued, I think spread out over 18,000 retired players, but yeah, the answer to your question is yes, there isn't much discussion on it. it. People have moved on, and it's like, wow, it's amazing, the power of the game itself. We, we will be watching this Sunday, and I'm sure there's going to be guys getting concussions, and, you know, and, and we're going to say, hey, who's the next man up? And uh, I don't know, maybe we have to search our souls as sports fans or just understand that that's the deal, where the people who are playing are going to be subjected to this. So, you know, when the money comes out, it sounds like a lot of money, but there were several players who kind of said, wow, if you really look at it, I think I saw a stat that the NFL revenue in the next two years is set to be about $27 billion, billion with a B, dollars. And if they're going to settle $765 million, not even $1 billion, and you're talking $27 billion over the next two years – Many people think that the NFL made out like bandits on this whole deal. Yeah, that's certainly the impression that we, we've been getting over here. All right, Brian, it's as an issue, it's maybe, I guess people do just move on and the timing of it was very deliberate by the NFL. It's certainly very convenient for the NFL to um, for it to happen on a Friday heading into a weekend and with the start of the NFL coming up the week after that, it, it got as buried as it possibly could. But we've talked to you before about, say, an issue like performance enhancing drugs and now that gets a lot of a lot of traction but maybe 10 5 10 years ago nobody really cared in the US and a lot of people still don't care there's still an attitude among some fans just let them at it is this concussion an issue that people care about the reason that i think it might be is that it might be seen as something that's more likely to affect people's kids you know that you a lot of people have kids who want to play in the NFL or at least in college or at least in high school and this is something that might more directly affect them there's no question that that is the biggest fear of the of the football infrastructure is the future of the game. And, uh, you know, a guy like me, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Do I want them playing football? Well, 30 years ago, no-brainer, right? Put on your helmets, kids. Go get them, man. Let's go, you know, Friday night, Friday night lights. You know, we've talked about <laughs> that's the great mythology in Texas and the South, all over America, the, the mythology of Friday night football in high school. Now you stop and ask yourself, do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to? And, and it's not over. We've alluded to the, uh, the Fainaru Wada book that's coming out in October, League of Denial, and the PBS documentary that's coming out, too. We've talked about that. So that could revive it. But, yeah, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be one of these long-term things. Where let's, let, you know, if we're having this conversation now in September of 2013, I'd be very interested to see, fast forward to September of 2023, and see uh, what the numbers are in high school football of kids enrolling and participating. You know, you know we've alluded to this before. You know, horse racing and boxing were the most popular sports in the 1920s, baseball in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so, you know, who knows? On the youth level, will kids still go out in the huge numbers? Of course, many will. And, of course, the, the sport will continue to exist. And it may take 40 or 50 years for it to affect it. But that is definitely, I'd love to see the stats 10 years from now on, on youth football participation. I see the New York Jets coach, Rex Ryan, was getting a bit of stick for going to see his son play a game of football. Nothing to do with concussions, just that people thought he should be busy focusing on the start of the Jets season. 
Yeah, well, you know, part of this, guys, is just the New York Jets in general. I mean, the Jets do something, and already the New York Post and the New York Daily News and talk radio in New York just feasts because ever since Rex Ryan took over the Jets, there just seems to be this sort of magnet of lunacy, this climate of lunacy that surrounds them. And ESPN contributes to that for sure. They are really, ugh, just stick your finger down your throat about the Jets coverage they get. When they had Tebow, too, it was just over the top. Ridiculous. Who, by the way, Tim Tebow released by the New England Patriots last week. Again, out of football right now. But because Rex Ryan and the Jets and Tebow and all that uh, has created that culture of craziness in New York, that what Rex Ryan did on Saturday, which was not a game day for the Jets at all. In fact, they don't start until Sunday, you know. But he went to go see his son play football at Clemson, which I believe is uh, is our man Kieran Murphy's uh, new college uh, football team. I'm considering it at the moment, Brian, yes. <laughs> That's another topic for another day. But uh, he went to go watch him, and yet yeah, somebody in the New York media leaked out a quote that said that this shows that Rex doesn't care about the team. This shows this is a big uh, screw you from Rex to the entire organization. And everybody's like, oh, my God, here we go. Other people were saying, wait a minute, he's a dad. He, he got his work done. He had a free window of an afternoon to go to a game in South Carolina, which is not the longest flight in the world from New York, two hours, something like that. And he would be the only game he could see his son play all year, let the guy be a dad. And, and prominent people like Tony Dungy, the former Colts Super Bowl winning coach, has come out in support of him. It was also revealed that Gary Kubiak, the head coach of the Houston Texans, also went to watch his son play in the Texas A&M Rice game. But, of course, the Houston Texans draw about one one-hundredth of the media scrutiny of the New York Jets. I support Rex Ryan. If he gets his work done and has a window to go see his son play football, his only window, go do it. Gosh, guys, he wouldn't get too serious about this, but we've had two coaches, the aforementioned Tony Dungy, and the Eagles coach, now Chiefs coach, Andy Reid, both lose sons to suicide uh, in the last two, three years. I mean, you know, it, it gets real serious when you think about the absentee dad stuff that goes on with NFL coaches and the pressure that the kind of media and the culture puts on these guys to become workaholics, you know, that this, you're not a man unless you're working 24 hours a day for your football team. So, you know, I, I think it's okay that Rex Ryan took a step back and saw his son play football and got his work done in the meantime. How's the season itself shaping up, Brian? Are you confident about the 49ers having nearly done the, gone the whole way last year? So I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. So the deal is this, I've been saying this on the air. So when Barack Obama burst on the scene in 2008, there was a political commentator in, in, uh, on MSNBC named Chris Matthews. And Obama's speeches, if you could recall the, fear, the, the frenzy around his campaign speeches when he was really catching fire, people just fell in love with the guy's oratorical skills. He was like a Bill Clinton, a John F. Kennedy type. And Chris Matthews of WMS, or MSNBC said... He got, it was an embarrassing moment for him. It became kind of famous, but he said, guys, he said, I heard that speech. I got a tingle up my thigh, a tingle up my thigh. <laughs> and so that was the big joke. And I've been saying on the air, I said, hey, guys, when I watch Colin Kaepernick play football for the 49ers, the quarterback, I think I get the Chris Matthews tingle up my thigh. I mean, this guy is about as exciting a player as I can remember, certainly for the 49ers. I mean, Joe Montana, while he was brilliant, he wasn't as electric as Kaepernick can be with his size and his strength and his speed. Jerry Rice, of course, the greatest football player of all time, he was different. He was a silky elegance. This guy Kaepernick has only played 10 starts in the NFL, and I may be as guilty as anybody else of over-hyping him or over-anointing him, 
But I swear to God, guys, I am so looking forward to watching this guy play football because of his size, six foot five, because of his arm strength, just bullets all over the field, and because, of course, those famous sprinter's legs that he has when he ran past the Green Bay Packers so famously in the playoffs. The question is, will he run Will he and the other guys, let's not just keep it in San Francisco, out in Washington, D.C. with Robert Griffin III, RG3, up in Seattle with Russell Wilson. These are the three faces oh, down in Carolina with Cam Newton, these young, strong, uh, athletic quarterbacks who run like the wind. They didn't used to run like this. Terry Bradshaw didn't run like this. You know, these old guys, Roger Staubach, they had some moves, but not like this. So the big question going in philosophically is, Will defenses put a stop to these guys with the read, they call it the read option offense or the pistol offense, where the quarterback takes the snap away from the center, fakes the handoff, and either reads run or pass, and then kind of takes advantage of a, of a commitment by the defense. Will the defenses adjust? That's the big question going in to the season. I have to think, and I've trusted, trusted people that we've interviewed, have said no. There's really no adjusting it. That that this offense is almost undefensible at, right now at this point in time. So I'm looking forward to Kaepernick. I think Russell Wilson in Seattle is brilliant too. I'm a little worried about RG3 and his knee. Tom Brady in New England's the old war horse representing the the 90s style of football with he and Peyton Manning much more pocket passing. There's all sorts of intriguing storylines. But to answer your original question, I, I have to believe the 49ers are going to be heavy heavy favorites to go back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I, I think that that's uh, a view shared by a lot of people, but people over here, when teams get to the top like the 49ers did, they were a pass away from winning the Super Bowl last year, There, there's a presumption that for the next four or five or six years that that your team will then stay at the top, that say in the Premier League or in the hurling finals or the football finals over here, that when you get to the top, you're going to stay there. It's kind of different in America, though, because... There's so much player movement into and out of clubs. There's the draft system, which is meant to ensure the teams don't get to the top and stay at the top for a long time. I mean, can you be sure that the 49ers will stay where they are? I suppose they've got a good coach, and that's nearly half the battle. Well, Kieran, I'll tell you, you know, what you've said now is sort of the unspoken thing around here, and that is, and we talk about it. I say unspoken, but I mean, we don't like to talk about it. The history of Super Bowl losers is actually rather poor. After all my hype there that I gave you in the last answer about Kaepernick and the 49ers, the history, and again, this is history, not the present, not the future, but the history of Super Bowl losers is extremely poor for whatever reason. Now, every team is different. Every dynamic is different. But there's really, it's, it's hard to ignore that it's been 40 years since a team that lost a Super Bowl came back and won a Super Bowl, and it was the early 70s, the Miami Dolphins. So that's a significant amount of history. You know, that is, um, you know, it, it, there is a human element to a letdown. There is a, another team that's coming together that you didn't think about. For example, last year, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, going into the season, there were very few believers in the Seattle Seahawks. They were going to start a rookie quarterback named Russell Wilson, who most people thought was too short to do anything. Well, the guy's one of the great stars in the NFL now, and they came within one missed field goal of beating the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta, and they knocked RG3 and the Redskins out of the playoffs, too. So, yes, there will be surprises. You can't just take last year's defending champs and put them in. In fact, I believe the stat is that every year in the last, I don't know, 10 years, something like that in the NFL, over half, or you can pretty much take last year's playoff teams, chop it in half, 
because 50% of them will not return to the playoffs next year. So as you mentioned, drafts and other things ensured to, to change these things. So yeah, that's a very real factor. And does that mean, you know, if you're smart, if you're over there and you're trying to pick an NFL team, you don't just say, hey, last year, the Falcons, the Seahawks, the Packers, the 49ers, and the Redskins made the playoffs. That means those teams make it again. No, some people start looking at the St. Louis Rams and Jeff Fisher and their coach. He's on the rise. Or you look at the Carolina Panthers with Cam Newton. Maybe he puts it together. Or you look at the New Orleans Saints who have Sean Payton back at coach after the whole scandal. Remember last year we were talking Bounty Gate and all that? Well, Sean Payton's back with the Saints. Drew Brees is still the quarterback there. So, yeah, if you're going to be savvy, you know, don't look at the obvious ones. In the NFC North, the Chicago Bears have a new coach. You know, is this the year Jay Cutler puts it together? You know, the the Detroit Lions and Matt Stafford, who've long thought to be a team in waiting, uh, the, is this the year they unseat the Packers? You know, in the NFC East, can Tony Romo and the Cowboys? God, I hate those guys. There's, every year they let you down, but Tony Romo is still considered, you know, one of these guys waiting to have that super season. So definitely the NFC especially is very, very talented. And all those teams that I mentioned, that the 49ers and the Seahawks, who are the favorites, are going to have to look out for those surprise teams. All that said, I love the 49ers roster. I love their coach. I just can't see any way that they're not playing football in January. Brian, just one quick word on uh, an even bigger sporting event this weekend. You're going to get, have to get in touch with your buddy from Clare because they're in the All-Ireland Hurling Final against Cork this Sunday. Do you reckon the Banner County will do it? This is amazing because I got my peeps out in Tulla, the windswept hill. I mean, come on. I mean, I've, I've, I've left a part of my heart there on many occasions. But Owen and Kieran, I mean, come on. I told you the Murphys left Boeing in about 1890, came over to Philadelphia, but the connection, blood is thicker mm. than Tulla, boys. <laughs> I gotta go, I gotta go with the Rebel County and Cork champions. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to the blue and the yellow, but you know what, they'll have a good time uh, partying back in Tulla and Ennis and all those ports anyway. So I'm picking Cork, boys, right. as the champion. Brian, best of luck, thank you. All the best, boys. What's this about you supporting... Clemson College that Brian yeah. just dropped in there so I was uh, I was sitting at home on Saturday night and there was some college football on BT Sport 2 or something and you know you kind of get an impression sometimes when you're just watching someone you're like yeah this is too much sport I don't, I don't need this I already have too many too much sport in my life and then I was watching college football going oh this does look pretty good I probably could I probably could get involved in this you know and then just basically you know Kiss the entire kiss the entire weekend goodbye then you know because that's football on Sunday night and American football on Sunday night and American football on Saturday night man you're just thinking God this is pathetic but what this was your really decision pathetic. then so you went so, for it no I I basically put it out to I I I saw that uh, uh, US Murph was watching it so I tweeted him I said right who am I who am I shouting for here keep in mind that I support the San Francisco 49ers and the San Francisco Giants in baseball so I'm pretty easily led in this whole thing by you Brian so he said. You should support the UCLA Bruins because that's his team. Mm-hmm. But then a couple of people kind of started telling me that they're terrible, like really awful. So you're like, they're not good enough. Yeah, I, want, well, I want a team that's got a better chance of winning. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just want to, you know, I want a horse in the race, you know. Yeah. And I, I, if these guys are just terrible, then what's the point in that? So the game that I was actually watching uh, was Clemson University against Georgia something or other. And the crowd was utterly insane i've never seen a stadium like it basically that 
uh, I looked up the capacity of this place because the two t- the behind the behind the goals on either end, like these tiny little terraces, maybe like three thousand people in in like TV, in like. both ends in both ends. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but like open air, like you know, terrible. But then on either running the length of the field were the two biggest structures I've <laughs> ever seen in a sporting arena. Like, absolutely, insanely big. And I was like, God, like, the capacity of this place must be like 60,000. And they've like, just given up on either end. Mm. Capacity of the ground, Clemson's home uh, stadium. It's called Death Valley, right. due to the huge size of the superstructures on either end. 81,000 people. So you're talking about basically 38,000, 39,000 in each, in each huge uh, side stand. So I was like, Death Valley, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I could probably, I could probably row in behind Clemson. But where, where are Clemson? Uh, I didn't get that far. Murph has a bit more research to do on this. I didn't get that far, but their stadium is really, really tremendous. Okay. It's in the south, somewhere, somewhere in the up, lower forty-eight. Yeah, coming up at six o'clock tonight. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them up with. What you're doing down here, you shawnee man. Second captain's football coming up later, Ken, and we're just a day away from Ireland, Sweden. Yeah, so we're going to be talking, obviously, a lot about that match and the build up to it. And um, by the time that we're doing that, I'm sure we'll have heard Giovanni Trapattoni's team. Uh, and so we're also going to talk a little bit about the World Cup in Qatar, um, which it now it's, it seems that uh, all of the sort of football authorities are kind of quietly sort of saying, well, of course, there's got to be a Winter World Cup. You can't play there in summer. And they're just sort of presenting this now as a kind of a fait accompli, mm-hmm. as though they had nothing to do with the decision to, uh, to give the World Cup to a country where it can't actually be played. Uh, so... There, you know, this is a, quite an interesting situation. So just in terms of all the, the knock-on effects that would have, which maybe we don't yet uh, fully appreciate, um, but also the fact that whether this is really going to be allowed to happen, whether, this, whether everyone is going to have to stand by and watch this happen. Because really what should happen is that this should be cancelled and it should be put out again to tender. I don't know. The Europeans have had it for long enough. Ha, the Europeans have had And what? the South Americans and those guys. Have had what for long? The World it's Cup. a cosy cartel. It's a cosy between, cartel between the rest of the world. But it's and been in the North East. America. It's been in Asia. And it's been in Africa. All in the last twenty years. Hasn't been in Qatar. That's true. Um, and you know, if if Qatar had said at the time, you know, there's a fundamental inequality bill. You know, get the FIFA Congress together, all the exco delegates or whatever, and the the Qatari guy stands up to make a speech and he says, "Look, you know, we're all equals here." We're all human beings living here as equals on this planet. But unfortunately, due to the circular structure of the planet, certain inequalities are built into um, the world that we live in. Um, you know, if you look at uh, a map of the world, you can see this big sort of yellowy bit uh, sort of stretching through the, the center. Hmm. And unfortunately, those are the bits which are, which are closest to the sun for most of the time, and they do get a little bit hot in what you call Northern Hemisphere summer. And unfortunately... That's a fundamental inequality we need to talk about. You know, why is it that countries where it gets really hot in your northern hemisphere summer are forever disbarred from hosting the World Cup simply because it's too hot to have them there? You know, what about if we open things up to, to countries which are dis- glo- glo- geo-positionally disadvantaged? 
and we say, look, we can have it in winter too. Uh, and here, you know, in Qatar, we'll put it. And if that had been their opening position, it would have been honest. And at least you could have said, okay, well, maybe there is something in what this guy says. Why should these countries that get really hot in summer, really hot, like hotter than Brazil or Mexico, which are mm. countries which have, have you know, hosted it, why should um, they be disadvantaged? Uh, maybe we can uh, look at this. But uh, that was never actually their position. And uh, instead, it's just this fraudulent sort of switching around like this three-card money after the event uh, and everyone else has to come around just because Qatar is a really rich country that wants to host the World yeah, Cup. And it's the not even, entire rest of the world has to go along with that. Yeah, and I, I don't even think that you're, you're kind of giving out about Qatar here necessarily. It's actually just the people that have since come out and said, well, obviously we can't play it in summertime. It's really well, good, I mean, of course, you can't play it in summertime. Yeah. Like, I, think, I think that's the duplicity. At, like, everyone is complicit in the duplicity, I think. Yeah. I mean, apart from all the, all the, all the other countries who bid for it, who essentially got screwed over on, uh, you know, on a, with a, a rigged game. You know, Qatar said, this is what we're going to deliver. And it turns out, after they win, that they're not going to deliver that at all. That's all coming up a little bit later on. I want to just get a bit of reaction to Kieran McGinney losing his job as Kildare manager before we wrap things up tonight. Niall Carew was the Waterford manager, but was selector with McGinney uh, at Kildare for five years. Niall, it does seem to be a story that has shocked a lot of people. Were you shocked? Yeah, I suppose it was. You know, I think you know, the past six years, if you look at the results um, and compare them to the previous six years, I mean, he, I think he won maybe 22 matches as a manager and I think the previous six, there was only six matches won in championship, you know, so I suppose for me that's the measure of success and I suppose Kildare, you know, we tend to elude ourselves in terms of, or delude ourselves in terms of uh, thinking that we can win a Leinster every second year and you know, I suppose the facts are there that we've won three in the last 60 years, you know, um, and that's where we're at, you know, but I suppose what Kieran McGinney has brought and I was lucky enough to work with him for five years is that he brought us to a level that we can compete. And, you know, once you're competing, then there's always a chance and an opportunity to, to get some silverware. But, I mean, to compete every year, uh, for me, that's success. And, you know, the door will open once you keep knocking, you know. Yeah, a lot of the upset seems to be around the fact that the people making the decision on this don't really know what's going on in the dressing room, as one of the players said. that They've never seen us in training, and they're the ones who, makes, who make the decision on whether the manager stays or goes. <laughs> I guess that's just a quirk of the GAA. Is, is that just, do you have to suck that up? Yeah, I think, yeah, I probably agree with that too. It's, it's funny, the people that were voting, um, you know, they are entitled to vote as delegates, but... I mean, they were voting for anyone but Kieran McGinley, if you think about it. It wasn't that there was an alternative on the table. Uh, so for me, it had to be personal then, uh, if you were voting for anyone but Kieran McGinley, because it was Kieran McGinley or get somebody else. So, I mean, uh, for me, that was mind-boggling, the way, the way that came about. Um, a show of hands as well uh, for a vote. Or, uh, I, I just found that I, I would have, you know, I suppose my understanding was that uh, the county board would bring a proposal to the to the floor, and um, it'll be second, and and then that's really it. That's normally what happens. Uh, but look, there was certainly a coup in Kildare by certain clubs, uh, two clubs in particular, and um, you know they were very strong, and obviously got on to other clubs, and you know it seemed to be orchestrated very well in the night. You know it was like a kangaroo court, I suppose. You know. Um, and, uh, you know, I suppose they got what they looked for, which was to remove Kieran, you know. And you know, he's a big loss to Kildare football. But, look, I suppose talking to Kieran over the last couple of days, you know, he knows himself. There's no one irreplaceable anyway. And maybe the next man, maybe he will get them over the line. But I just, I think the way the whole thing was handled was, 
you know, would leave a, a bad taste in anyone's mouth. But the funny thing is, uh, it was Kildare County Board that came out um, with a bad taste in anyone else. And, um, you know, I think Kieran McGinley has come out very well, the other side of it, you know. Yeah, when you say you think it was personal, I, I know various ideas and opinions have been offered as to what the club's have against Kieran McGinley. Do you have any idea when you say it's personal, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I suppose, you know, I've worked with him for five years and he's a personal friend of mine as well. So, look, Kieran is very straight in what he does and he doesn't play the political game, you know, which can be dangerous when you're a manager of a team uh, because you have so many different personalities to deal with and you know, trying to keep everyone inside is, is difficult. And, you know, Kieran would do what's best for his team and the best for Kildare football. And sometimes that's not that doesn't help uh, or it doesn't suit people, you know, because they didn't get their Johnny or Mick on the panel or he's not getting the proper go. And look, to be honest with you, anyone that's involved in Gaelic football, generally very few people get through the net. If you're good enough, you'll be on. Uh, and you have plenty of opportunities, whether that's in training or games, um, you know, to put down your marker. But uh, I, I think... You know, because Keener didn't play that political game by getting X or Y or Z in from different clubs around the county, um, you know, he'd probably punished for that then. Uh, but I think that their football is punished, not just him. I mean, he'll move on and he'll do a great job wherever he goes, you know, that's the way he is, that's the measure of the man. Um, so, look, I, I just think that, you know, people with their agendas then would kind of get carried away and, um, you know, they can't see... They can't see it through their own glasses and, you know, everything will be pointed towards Kieran McGinley. But, uh, look, he'll, he'll live with that and he'll march on. Do you think he'll have been blindsided by this? Um, look, I, I, I think Geezer, you know, he's an intelligent man. He, he'll know himself that um, the writing was on the wall and, and the only reason, he told me this last week himself, the only reason that he put his name forward um, was because the players, you know, every one to a man came to him and asked him to stay on. And you now the big thing for Geezer is loyalty, and um, you know he couldn't but put his name forward, even though he probably knew it was a, a day of execution for himself. He probably knew that was going to happen with rumblings around the county. Um, he was still prepared to put his name forward um, because he wanted to show loyalty to his players because the past six years they've shown him great loyalty you know now just the consistency you talk about there and where McGinney has brought the county I guess if there's a Leinster title there if there's even maybe an All-Ireland final appearance there's probably something that that no county board delegate can or no club delegate can really argue against the fact that that wasn't there do you think that ultimately that made any difference that the, the people can point and say look I mean, for all the consistency, for all the challenging, we actually haven't won anything of note. Yeah, and uh, no, I agree. I mean, that's something that you can beat anyone with uh, because you can be judged on, you know, if, if you can suit yourself, really. If you want to judge on performances or consistency, uh, you know, if you're pro McGinn, you'll go with that. But if you're against that, uh, obviously, you'll, you know, you'll use the thing of, Asher, look, what did he win as a manager? But, I mean, people have to realise there's only one team that can win any competition. Um I actually thought Kildare had a good year this year. Uh, if you think that seven or eight new debutants this year, I wouldn't know five of them players. Um, they're number one, they're that young, and they're only after breaking onto the scene. They got to a league semi-final. Um, they got trimmed by Dublin, okay, but but who didn't? Uh, Kerry played out their skins, and they were still beaten by seven points, no matter what way you twist it. Um, you know, Dublin are in a different, uh, different level at the moment. Um, Kildare. Um, in fairness, beaten by Tyrone, who 
got to an All Ireland semi final. So Kildare aren't far away. They've won the under twenty one that was managed by Kieran McGeaney. Um they've won the Leinster Junior, they've won the Leinster Minor and his fingerprints are on every bit of that. Um you know, I think football in Kildare is at a you know, it's in a good place at the moment and um I'd be hoping that the next manager to bring in that you know, they don't put the pressure on him that he has to deliver silverware straight away because it's not going to happen. Um, it's going to take a few years to get up to the pace that Dublin are at uh, to get that confidence. And if you could win one, you know, everything else will follow then. But it's to get that one. But to get that one, you have to keep knocking at the door. You have to keep competing. Um, and I'd just be afraid for the next man to be too much pressure on him, you know? OK, Niall, listen, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for chatting to us. No bother at all. Okay. Strong stuff there from Niall Crew in support of Kieran McGinney. It certainly seems like that's the way most of the public opinion is going. I mean, the, the, we, we have kind of raised one or two of the arguments about how if you re, if you really want to be bulletproof, you kind of needed to win something. Yeah. You know, if you have your Lancer title there, it's, you're, you're Kildare, how often do you win Lancer titles? That's that's that, you know. So uh, while you can talk about winning a certain amount of championship games compared to what was won in the six years previously, that's all very logical and it should probably be enough to keep the job, but it sh- just isn't that one shield, that, that coat of armour that you really want to be wearing but I don't know, maybe they would have got rid of him anyway if there was a Leinster title in the bag there. Ken, what do you think? He's not playing the political game according to Niall, he's not picking guys just for the sake of it. Well I thought you know that was an interesting um, turn of phrase by Niall and you know nobody in in normal life, own personal life, one on one human relations, likes somebody who's political and calculating and all those things uh, and it is better to be to to be yourself, to to go your own way, you know, to say it as it is, not to pander and kowtow just to try and keep people on side and so on and so forth. But being a manager of a of a sports team is an inherently political position. There are stakeholders, there are, there are people that you have to keep happy. There's bullshit that you have to talk, and you kind of have to accept that that's part of your job. You can't just sort of say, "Well, I don't go that way." And sort of ignore it because in the end, what happens is you lose a vote twenty nine to twenty eight. You know what I mean? I mean, if you if you think about who's we we always end up talking about Alex Ferguson, but he is he has been very successful figure in this mm-hmm. type of job, an arch politician. I mean, somebody who always played the political games that he had to play. Did he not just become a dictator by the end of it, where he had all the power at the club? He did, but he had to play a lot of political games to get there, and he also, as you were mentioning, Owen, had to win a lot of. Stuff. Eventually, he was so encased in silver that nothing could get through. But, you know, there, was, uh, there were times... I mean, the, the one time when Ferguson really went off piece a little bit uh, in terms of his political strategy was when he actually tried to take on the guys who owned or were the major shareholders in the club in court and tried to sue them over the, the horse. I think he learned his lesson, though. You know, all the fans were saying, oh, the Glazer takeover is terrible. And Ferguson told those fans to go and support Chelsea. <laughs> so, so you know, you, you, it's it's. I think you you ultimately to be successful in that things that the qualities McGinney has will get you a long way because he's clearly a guy who has a lot of qualities, and you can hear from what Niall said and from the reaction of some of the players that he inspires personal loyalty in the people who are close to him. But you also need sometimes to try and keep happy the people who you don't even really like or have that much respect for. You just got to sometimes do it. Coming up a little bit later on, we will have Second Captains football for you at 6 o'clock this evening. Do keep following us on Twitter, at Second Captains, or begin to follow us on Twitter if you're not doing so already. You can email... Why do I always forget the email address, Murph? Uh, it's Second Captains at 
irishtimes.com. It's really not that hard. Yeah, We're second captains at the Irish Times. It's second captains at irishtimes.com. Yeah. Just pretty much just give the name of the program and add a yeah, .com the, at the, the end the there. Main, the main tenets of Facebook. the name of the show com, Facebook, put into an email address. Facebook.com forward slash second captains. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. <laughs>